This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. God's word. Praise God. Please be seated. Well, uh, happy new year. If you're like me, it seems like it's been the new year for a long time. And today is, what, is it the 8th? Is that right? Yes, the 8th. So I would say Happy New Year, but uh, in the same way that our resolutions, some of our resolutions seem so far ago, it's already eight days in uh, to the month, it seems like uh, this year has been happening for a while, and that's not a bad thing, it's just, it's happening, and there's a lot going on. And so before we get too far in the year, I, I want us to pause and I want us to think about choosing health this year, choosing growth this year. Now, I know some of you I've talked about, I've talked with about how um, it's, it's a good idea and many of you, uh, both men and women, young and older, are going through some type of uh, diet or cleansing from sugar, right? I mean, just uh, basically October 31st through December 31st or until you go to bed on New Year's Eve, it's just like a sugar fest, right? I mean, it starts with Halloween and just keeps going. So many of you have... I've been in conversations telling me about how you're going to fast from sugar for a certain amount of time. And many of you have told me about that and you say you do it every year. And of course, you go back, which is why we do it every year again. But you talk about how you feel so much better, right? After, after you've not eaten sugar for however long it is, maybe 30 days. Uh, and I would say, of course you feel better, right? Of course you do. Um, but it's not only the lack of sugar, it's also what you are eating, right? If you just didn't eat sugar, but you didn't eat anything else, you would feel horrible still, right? But it's when you don't eat sugar and you actually eat nutritious things, right? So that's, that's part of the key of how these things work, is that you replace non-nutritious food with nutritious food, and nutritious food makes healthier people, right? That's, we know that's how it works. I took a class in college uh, on uh, metabolic pathways, right? Basically what that means is when you eat something, what happens and where does it go, okay? And so uh, the, the professor had, had his PhD in human metabolism. I didn't know that was possible, right? PhD in human metabolism from the University of Kansas. And um, he was a great teacher. And I remember we would start with one pathway and it was blackboards in this department. Uh, it wasn't even that long ago. And he would fill up the whole blackboard with the pathway in one instance, top to bottom, left to right. It's two or three of these blackboards. 
He'd fill it up. But one of the reasons I remember so much is because he was such a great teacher, he would always apply what he was teaching. And he would tell us about how it mattered in his life. Isn't that interesting? Something you're learning actually matters in your life. So one of the things he said was, he told us about the importance of fruits and vegetables. He'd talk about it all the time. And he would say it's so important uh, that he wanted to teach his kids to love them. And so what he decided to do was he decided to say, you can have whatever candy bar you want. In fact, they kept candy in the house. He'd say, however, before you eat the candy, you have to eat seven servings of fruits and vegetables. And after that, you can eat as much candy as you want. And he kept his promise. But he said the interesting, interesting thing was, is as his kids grew, they stopped crying and whining about this rule and they just accepted it. And it was very infrequent. Actually, the way he said it was, we did not go through many candy bars. His point was they were so filled up on what was nutritious that even though they could have eaten what was not as nutritious, they chose not to. You see, the Bible speaks of itself in similar ways. It talks about tasting good and being food. In fact, uh, the Bible says that the words of God are sweeter than honey. The apostle John is told in the book of Revelation, we just read in December, to eat this book, eat it. Think about that, eat it, eat this book, and it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. You see, nutritious food makes healthier people. And I want New City to be healthier. So this year, let's eat this book together. Let's eat this book together. Now, I know all of you want to become healthier. I know this. And when I say healthier, the type of healthy I'm talking about is more joy despite circumstances. More life-giving hope for the people around you, even when you don't really like the people around you, right? Because it just comes out of you. It's just, it's just in you. I mean transformation in areas of your life that you didn't think would ever change, ever change. But all of a sudden they're changing and you have freedom. You've never experienced it before. Now I know you want those things too and I know that you've wanted some of those things for a long time, which is why some of you are skeptical and cynical. I understand that. So I'm not gonna, all I'm gonna say now is walk with me just for the next few minutes. Just walk with me. Let's go through Psalm 1. Let's think about it. Let's eat it together. And we're gonna talk about this, this idea of meditation this morning. That, that's what we're here to talk about. That's what the Psalm is talking about. And so the way that I wanna do that is ask three questions. The first question I wanna ask is simply this. What is meditation, right? It's a word that we've heard a lot maybe and read a lot, but how would we answer that? And really there's, there's two ways I could go about answering this. There's a more broad way and then there's a more descriptive way or definitive way I could define it for you. So I'm gonna do both, but I'm gonna start off with this more high-level way, okay? So meditation is a spiritual discipline. All right, now even when we hear the word discipline, we think effort and we get scared, don't we? And that, that raises in us this question oftentimes is, okay, so if I'm gonna be transformed, if I'm gonna be more joyful, if I'm gonna be changed, do I work or does God work? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes to both at the same time. You turn up both of those volumes to 100%. Dallas Willard has this great line that I 
found so helpful. And he says, grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. See, we don't earn anything. We don't earn anything, but we do bring effort to the Christian life. We absolutely bring effort. The way that our spiritual teachers throughout the last 2,000 years, the best ones, have talked about spiritual disciplines by calling them means of receiving God's grace, right? So God has chosen to bless us. He wants to bless his people and we put ourselves in those streams that he's given us to bless us. The way that Paul might talk about spiritual disciplines would be something like a farmer. In Galatians 8, he talks about uh, sowing. So maybe I could say any discipline is not an earning, but it is a sowing. So he says, he who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And this analogy of the farmer is actually very revealing. Right? This, this idea of a farmer, a farmer doesn't control the growth of the crop. What he does is he cultivates the crop. He, he plants the seed. He puts the conditions for it to grow. He makes sure there's enough sunlight, not too much. He makes sure that the, the soil is fertilized, but he doesn't make it grow. And spiritual disciplines are the same way. In a sense, God's means of grace and these spiritual disciplines are ways of getting us in the soil to give us the conditions of growth. That's one way to think about it. So that's the broad way to come at it, but I'll ask it again and answer it from a different way. What is meditation? If it is a spiritual discipline, what is it though? All right, and meditation is an active pondering of something. In this case, it's the scriptures, an active pondering in the pursuit of insight. The Puritans talked about it this way. They, they would say that uh, meditation is a pondering of the scriptures in the mind until it sinks down in the heart. Now, until it sinks down into the heart and then sets your whole person on fire. That's what meditation is. And we haven't done it until, we haven't done it fully until that happens, is the argument. So meditation now is not simply Bible reading, although that's a good spiritual discipline, just to read the Bible. It's good to sit down and read big swaths of the Bible at the same time, like to sit down and read a whole book. Something happens that it might not happen if you just read a verse or a passage. Like you just wash yourself in that book. That's a good discipline. Study is a good discipline where we examine the scriptures. I mean, I did that this week. I engaged in meditation and study. And while it might be artificial to completely separate them. We experience a difference. I experienced a difference this week when I would slide into meditation, which would lead me to prayer and then slide back into study. It's fluid, but it is distinct. So meditation then is like a hybrid between Bible reading and prayer. I'm gonna tell you how that works in a second. So it's not Bible study, and it's not Bible reading, it's something else. That's meditation. Uh, Eugene Peterson um, understood meditation more when he thought about his little dog with a bone. And he tells the story where he was reading Isaiah 31.4, which says, as a lion growls over his prey. And he stopped there, and his little dog was right there, and 
he thought about his little dog with a bone and his dog would shake the bone and wag its tail and back up and bark at the bone and then grab the bone and then back up again and then take it to a corner in the room and growl at it. Just, you know, just totally consumed with this bone. And as he thought about that, he thought, well, that's kind of like my dog. And then he was even more interested when he found out that the word translated growl, the Hebrew word translated growl in Isaiah 31.4 is the same Hebrew word that's translated meditate in Psalm 1. And so he thought to himself, I am to dog with a bone meditate on God's word day and night. And you've seen the dog with a bone. I mean, that thing takes off with the bone. You can't, like you teach kids, don't touch the bone. Right, that dog is, that is the dog's bone. And you might lose a finger if you try to touch the dog's bone. There is this, there is this uh, takenness with the bone that the dog has. And so that's the picture of meditation. And that's a big difference between Eastern meditation and biblical meditation. Eastern meditation is the emptying of the mind, more specifically the emptying of the mind of lies or untruth or things that aren't supposed to be there. I like that part, but you can't just empty your mind. And actually the way to empty your mind properly, the scriptures would teach, is to fill your mind in meditation with the scriptures. So we focus our mind on a scripture until it ignites our hearts. That's what meditation is. And when we do this, this will be your experience. This is my experience. When we do this, we'll begin to see the Bible as a living conversation between persons. Because what is the Bible? The Bible is God speaking. It's God's self-revelation. So God speaks first. And this is a quote I already shared. It's from Peterson. He says, there is a massive previousness of God's speech before we pray. If I didn't have God speaking first, I've heard it said, I would ask for stupid things. And my prayers would create a God in my own image. We just talked about that in the second commandment. I would create a God in my own mind without being informed by the scriptures and meditating on them to where he would always agree with me and he would always want for me what I want for myself, right? And that's a good question is, does your God ever disagree with you? Because if your God doesn't disagree with you, it's a false God. If you're never convicted by what you read or if you're never put off by what you read, it happens frequently to me that I read things and I think that is not good. That's not good. I don't like that. And that's comforting to me because it shows me that I'm submitting not to a figment of my imagination, but to a real person who's spoken first and I'm responding to that person. So meditation is a fixing like a dog with a bone on God's word until it lights us on fire and leads us into conversation with God. That's what it is. Now, how do I do it? How do I meditate, right? Because I'm not, I don't think that you're going to put it in your mouth and shake it like a dog shakes a bone actually. So how does it happen? Now, As we go into this, it's important to say right out that the Bible does not say, blessed is the man who meditates. He is like Google, getting one million answers to the search in less than half a second, okay? This isn't microwave reality. This isn't Google. This isn't high-speed internet, right? I've heard it said that Psalm 1, when it talks about roots in the water, 
It doesn't say pipes in the water, right? If, if you think of pipes, the goal of a pipe is to put water in one end and then it goes straight out the other end. And what is it? It's still water. But here in Psalm 1, the meditation, it's your roots go in the water. The roots take in water and out comes fruit. It's different. That's meditation. So when we start rooting our daily lives in these words until the truth begins to blossom. And so it's with that general expectation, we know that meditation then takes focus and time. It's a think over these things type reality, right? We chew and we chew and we chew. And we often need to slow down. Oftentimes we need to slow down. I think uh, most of the time there's, we think, we might say this, like, we might read, so we're in Luke right now. This happened to me last week. And so I'm reading the chapter of Luke and I get to the end and I'm like, wait a minute, what did I read? And so I go back and I read it again and I think the same thing. And then I think, well, I'm not getting anything out of this as though there's something wrong with the Bible, right? Like the, like the problem is with the Bible. I mean, have you ever said that? Well, I'm just not getting anything out of this. okay. So where's the problem? Is it with you or is it with the Bible? Howard Gardner is a professor at Harvard and I'm not even sure what he's a professor of because he's one of those freaky Harvard people that his PhD is in one thing but he teaches everything, right? So his PhD is in psychology but he's written books in education, he's written books in business, he teaches in the business school, he teaches in the school of education, school of public health, every school. They have it, he's taught there. And this is what he said. He said, coverage is the enemy of all understanding. Have you ever heard a professor not answer a question or did you ever experienced this? And the answer was, I can't get to that because I need to get through this. That's a bad sign, right? Have you ever thought that to yourself? Have you ever thought, I can't stop here in the bi- because I gotta get through the whole chapter. Coverage is the enemy of all understanding. We think that, there, that we have to get through it all Otherwise, it doesn't count. That is the exact opposite of meditation. Now, I want you to know this. This is what it's like for me. Although I still struggle with this, the way I try to lean in to CBR every morning is that um, I view it as fodder for my meditation, which leads me to prayer and conversation and communion with God. So I might stop on a phrase right away and that's it, 30 minutes, that's it, like a dog with a bone and those are always my best mornings. Now because there's this check the box part of me, I'll end up usually listening to the whole chapter on my way to the office or later that night and there's a sickness in me and I know that you have it too. So that's sort of what, that's where I am. I'm not perfect clearly and obviously and that's where I am in my practice is that I say, I'll do that later, but right now, I'm here to meditate. I'm here to sit in. I'm here to chew on. I'm here to hear. I'm here to take it in until it sinks into my heart and then lights me on fire to converse with God. That's what CBR is about. And I know that many of us are frustrated with CBR because it's not rich enough. It's not Bible study enough. You've told me this. This is how I know you think that. And I would say you're missing the entire point. You're missing the point, and so do I so often. 
You see, the Bible isn't meant so we merely know. It's given so that we grow. And we know that we can't grow unless we know, but we can know and not grow. Is that not true? So, to meditate is to chew, it's to eat, it's to sit. And so, uh, how does that happen, though? We're not very good at it, we don't tend to be. A professor of mine in seminary told a story of how they went to take a class at Dallas Theological Seminary years ago, and there's this famous professor there, his name was Howard Hendricks, all right? And Howard Hendricks has written a lot in Bible study tools and methods and, and all sorts of things. And um, he's, he's famous for his commitment to inductive Bible study, but also to observation and meditation, okay? And so they sat down, and these are seminary students, right? Let's, work, let's learn real theology, and uh, not the Bible, right? Let's talk about theology. And you laugh, but that happens to us, and I'm not sure when it happens, but it does happen. And so here we are, and Howard Hend- How- here they were, and Howard Hendricks says, read John 3.16, so they read John 3, 16. It says, I'll be back in 30 minutes and I want you to have written down 50 observations, five, zero observations about John 3, 16. It was torture. They come, he comes back, he says, was it hard? And they're like, oh, it was so hard. 50 observations about God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 50? Yes, it was hard. Good. Now your assignment for tonight is to come back with 50 more. Those people learned how to meditate because you got to get creative. 100 observations about John 3.16. People learned to meditate that day in the classroom. You see, it, the problem is us. The problem is we won't slow down. The problem is we like Google and microwaves and not personal relationship and not reflection. That's my problem too. And so uh, a couple things. Uh, first of all, um, Ignatius of Loyola, um, he, he used to counsel his students to meditate by entering the world of the text and imagining themselves in the biblical scene. So think about Luke 10, it's coming up, the, the parable of the, the Good Samaritan, right? This is how we might meditate on that. You read it and you, you close your eyes and Ignatius was, was big on using imagination as a way of spiritual formation, guided by the scriptures. So imagine yourself, you're, you're in the scene in Luke 10, and the first time you imagine it, you're the one who's in the ditch. And you watch the first person walk by, and you imagine what you felt. You can't speak. You're so beaten. You can't speak, and you're, you're dying for someone to come rescue you. And you watch the first person walk by. And then you watch the second person walk by. And then you give up all hope when the third person comes, but then they come towards you. And then you're filled with hope, and then you pass out, and then you wake up. And then here you are being taken care of and your, your wounds have been cleaned. And just think about how that is like you and how the Lord has saved you. You were helpless, you were hopeless, and he saved you. Or maybe you're like the first one who walks by or the second one who walks by and you can feel the self-righteousness in you. You can feel the guilt and shame that turns to contempt for the other person because you don't wanna stop and help. And we do that all the time, we do that every day. What if that's how we read Luke 10 and next week? What if we entered in that way? What if we stopped on one verse? Let's just say John 3, 16 again. God so loved the world, right? Normally we God so loved the world that he gives his only begotten son. Okay, moving on, I've heard that a million times. But what if we said, we stopped and we emphasized every word and we said, God so loved the world. 
And we thought about that. And then we said, okay, God is. What is that? Right? God so loved. He, what, in what way did he love the world? In what way did he love the world? You see, there is a blurry line. Sometimes, some of us think that's study, but that's actually meditation. We have to observe. We have to meditate. We have to put ourselves in. We have to invite ourselves in because we've been called and invited into it. And so there is no seven steps to how to meditate, but we do have to slow down. We have to engage. We have to chew. We have to think. And I know some of you are thinking you're a pastor and uh, that's why you do this. Or you like books. You're a bookish type of person. And so you do this. I would say that's not entirely true. It's not just for bookish people. It's not just for pastors. It's for everyone. It's for all of us. It's for the righteous man. It's for the blessed person. That's who does this. It's for the healthy person. That's who does this. You know, I know of people, well, I'll say this first. It's for desperate people. That's who it's for. It's for people who are desperate to be filled with God, to lead us to joy and to service. You know, I know of people who aren't bookish, who hated school, but then their child or, them, or they themselves get diagnosed with something, right? And then all of a sudden in like lightning speed, you talk to them and you're convinced they not only have gone and graduated from medical school, but have also done a fellowship in immunology or something. Right? They know everything about it. I know of people who, this really happened. They have a child with a condition. They moved and they weren't bookish. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't good at school. And they moved and they go establish a new primary care physician. And the physician's learning about their illness and they ask them, can you tell me more about how this works? Why? Because they've become an expert in that thing in their own way. Right? Why? Because they were desperate. That's why. And until you and I are like that in our own lives, meditation is going to be a discipline. And we never truly arrive there either, right? And so therefore, meditation is always a discipline. But it's not a discipline of earning. It's a discipline of effort. It's a discipline of planting ourselves over and over and over in the soil of God's grace so that we can receive this nutrition and become healthier, become more whole, become blessed. Many of us think that we aren't disciplined enough to do this, but really, me too, I'm not desperate enough to do this. Martin Luther, um, giant of church history in many ways. Most good, some not good, like all of us. And his barber one time asked him how to pray and Luther wrote him a 40-page letter. <laughs> and, but Luther was always very practical and vulgar most of the time, which makes him entertaining to read. And this is what he said, no vulgarity here. He said, uh, it is a good thing to let meditation, I'll insert, be the first business in the morning and the last in the evening. Guard yourself against such false and deceitful thoughts that keep whispering, wait a while, in an hour or so I'll meditate. I must first finish this or that. We have to watch out so that we may not get weaned from meditation or prayer by fooling ourselves that a certain job is more urgent. 
which it really isn't. And finally, we get sluggish, lazy, cold, and weary. But the devil is never, or the devil is neither sluggish nor lazy around us. Kneel down or stand up, speak or think as briefly as you can, but meditate. See, Luther would never pray, we would almost never pray, until he first meditated on scripture. He said, either the Ten Commandments, I would take one commandment and meditate and it would warm my heart and lead me to prayer, or the Lord's Prayer, or some other piece of scripture. But the point is, if it's two minutes or 20 minutes, meditate, do it. Do it with me, do it with us. Eat this book and we will become healthier. Now, I wanna explicitly ask one more question to end here. Why? Why should we meditate? Why does the psalm tell us to meditate? All right, simply put, the psalm says meditate so you'll become a stable tree of righteousness and not be blown about by circumstance, but you'll be rooted like a tree, right? He talks about the the wicked are like chaff, so that's, you, you take grain, you take it to the threshing floor and you grind it and then you take uh, like a shovel type thing, I forget what it's called. You throw it in the air and the wind carries away the chaff and the grain's heavy so it falls and that's how you separate it. And if, we, if our roots don't go deep, we'll be like that chaff. We'll just be blown away by the winds of circumstance. We meditate so we'll be a tree planted by streams of water So it says you're like a tree planted. You're not exactly like a tree because trees need water and most of the time they need it to rain in order to get water. But these trees don't need rain because their roots go deep into the river. And so a drought comes and their leaves don't wither. And the longer the drought is, the deeper their roots go. But I think the thing that's important to realize is the droughts do come and the droughts will come. Some of you, I know, feel like you're in a drought right now. Difficult marriage, confusion about calling, difficulty at work, in, mar- in parenting, in relationships, strife, turmoil. This is real life. This is drought. This is the winds of heat. Sin, temptation. But even in this, the psalm says that we can be stable And that even when God may feel far from you, the answer is meditation on his word as it leads you to prayer, which is conversation with him, which is communion. So I wanna leave you with something else I read this week. Right now, you may not be experiencing his love in this season, but his love is not seasonal. His love is constant. You may not delight in him right now, but he never stops delighting in you. He's always waiting for you. You may feel thirsty and dry, but you have access to living water. Your roots can go deeper and deeper into the river of life. If you're a Christian, you're rooted in the one who when he was thirsty, He had nothing to drink so that you could drink. Who on the cross said, I thirst. And whose life, Psalm 22 says, was poured out like water to bring us to God. That's what's true right now. 
And as we would meditate on that, our roots would go deeper. As we chew on that, our roots would go deeper. So let our roots go down into the soil this year. Like a dog with a bone, let's gnaw on this. Let's chew on it. Let's swallow it. And gradually but surely, our lives will be transformed. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come to you. We want this. If we're in you, we want this. And yet, we're weak and we need you. So I pray for myself and I pray for my friends here that we would be confident that it's not our intellect or our IQ that's gonna show us something tomorrow morning in our Bible reading. We're not alone in our Bible reading, but Holy Spirit, you're the one that opens the eyes of our hearts to see. You're the one that gives us understanding as we think on these things. Woo us. Let us taste and see that you are good so that our metabolism will be programmed to long for more of you. That we wouldn't be satisfied with a sense of fulfillment in anything else, but our day would be saturated with meditation as we work and as we love and as we make decisions and as we doubt and as we fear that we would come back to you and that we would meditate on your words to us and that they would lead us to you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.